Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm coming to you direct from Tulum, Mexico. And I want to share today something that's been on my mind quite a bit in my time here. I've been uh, living here for the last four plus months, and there are a lot of spiritual seekers that come to Tulum. And in many ways, I think that that is quite beautiful. That said, I made a post today, um, having had the beautiful opportunity to work with a beautiful indigenous community here called the Wiwadika, where I sat in a fire ritual and was given a fire name. And that fire name is Yosali. It is the light, the fire. I was told it's, it's the meteor, it's the the light and energy in the space when healing is happening. And I did a post around how I am humbly coming to understand that name and what it means to me. And what it means to me to sit in reverence to the elders, what it means to sit in humble uh, awe and reverence for the great and in my opinion, true shaman, which is the fire, uh, called Tatawari, and how the fire truly transmutes. It takes the sunlight that has been moved into the trees and then turns it back into light. Uh, and it takes our troubles, our traumas, and uh, allows us to, to move and to heal through them, to, to surrender that which no longer serves us. And I got a question on the post, which was which teachers or shamans I recommend in Tulum. And that spurred for me a, a, a process uh, in which I had a, an interesting exchange. And I wanted to share with you, for those who are looking to, um, to work with the sacred plants, to do deep, deep healing work, um, some thoughts that I have around what is in my humble opinion, and, and I own that this is my opinion, uh, the right way, quote unquote, to do the work. And some thoughts around uh, being mindful as it relates to the people and places within which you do your work. And so what I want to talk about is what I found in Tulum is, is there's kind of what I would call almost this club spirituality. And a lot of people sort of wear their spirituality as an identity in their clothes, in these, in their feathers, etc. There's a lot of appropriation, um, and I think where that's most dangerously expressed are in those who call themselves shamans and host circles in which people um, open themselves to be healed, and. The reason I think that that is dangerous is that, for me at least, those who I've had the great fortune of sitting with that have had profound impact on my life have been those who are committed from a place of humility and service. And they do the work from that ethos and intention. And there are is there are a lot of people now that are working with medicines and working with the plants in a way that is both commercial uh, as well as, you know, I think in some instances very dangerous. 
you know, you wouldn't go to if you had if you need, if you required surgery to remove a tumor, you wouldn't go to a guy who read about surgery in a book in the library. And I would say that in some ways, when you are opening yourself through the sacred plants, you are you are having a psychic or spiritual surgery, if you will. And you don't want to go to some person who went to Peru and studied uh, or took you know, medicine for two weeks and all of a sudden decided that, that it's their calling and they're going to offer medicine circles. One thing I think that is an important distinction is we look in the West at medicine as this pill, this sort of magic pill that cures. But in my understanding, the medicine is so much more than simply the plant, although the plant is a sacred aspect and central to the medicine. The medicine is, is the lineage. It's the unbroken lineage of the generations of guardians that have been bestowed with the honor and responsibility to hold that medicine, like the Wiwadika in Mexico or the Yawanawa in Brazil, indigenous groups that, that carry that right and responsibility, not as something they wear, but as something that is an integral part of who they are and a sacred responsibility. A shaman, quote unquote, traditionally, wasn't a glorious title, a glamorous identity someone would wear. It was, it was someone who committed their entire life and in fact, sacrifice their life, their individual pursuits to live between two worlds, to be a conduit between this world and the spirit world so as to foster the great healing of their community. And that was a extraordinarily challenging and difficult path that one took, not really uh, out of any glorious individual pursuit, but more so as a sacrifice to the community. And so is with the medicine, one who serves the medicine is doing so from a place, in my experience, when the medicine has its greatest impact is, is when it's served from a place of profound humility and service. And there's a gentleman who I've actually had on the show that I had the honor of sitting with by the name of Banky Piakow from the Ashaninka. This man has worked with, the, with, with ayahuasca, with the medicine, for more than 40 years. He's a man who sits in the jungles of the Amazon for six months at a time by himself in dieta, in sacred commitment to the spirit. He is cleansing his vehicle, his vessel, in dieta to enable himself to be an effective conduit of spirit, uh, to be, to be a, a, an effective holder of the medicine. He is learning the bird calls, cleaning his vessel and his vehicle so that he can embody and hold as a vessel that truth. The medicine is that sacred commitment. It's the commitment he has made to spirit, the offerings he has made to spirit. It's the space, the set and setting in which the medicine is offered. Who is in that set and setting? What prayers have been offered over the medicine as it's harvested? Has it been harvested in the right way? Have the prayers been sung? You know, a song isn't just a, a, a song. Songs have certain forza, certain embodiment, certain meeting, and, and, and they are medicine in and of themselves. And songs come in the right way at the right time. And they're part of what carry the community, the group sitting in medicine on their journey, on their collective journey in the field. 
And when one enters into the field, which one does in a sacred ceremony, you're entering into the collective unconscious. You're, in a way, releasing the individual protection and boundaries that you've become accustomed to in this egoic identity, and you're entering into the collective. And while that can be profound and beautiful for healing, it also puts you in an extraordinarily vulnerable place. And I can tell you from personal experience, you know, for example, in ceremony, at least the way that I've been taught, you don't touch other people. You don't also don't engage in small talk. You're, you're in a sacred communion and a sacred conversation. And I once had a opportunity to sit with, with really p profound uh, indigenous healers, but in a setting where they didn't control sort of the day-to-day. -day. And one day, a young woman, and I have profound empathy for her, came up to me without any context and sat down and shared with me one of the most profoundly troubling experiences I've ever heard another human share from what her childhood. I, I, won't, I won't share it out of uh, respect for her story, but the, of the most uh, challenging things I could ever imagine. And in that, in that ceremony, that, that, that following evening, during the limpia or the cleansing of the women, when she was in circle... I then relived in the field, in the collective, her experience as me, as a young boy, with relatives and people that I knew. Of the most traumatic experiences one could imagine was lived as my reality. And to this day, I don't know if that's something within my experience that I've just suppressed because it was so dark, or if I helped her move that out of the field by being a vessel in that space. And I share that because it's been something that's been traumatizing for me now for the last two years. And that's in part because of the profound nature of the work and how much the set and setting and the facilitators play a role in protecting you and shepherding you through the field. And so to me, it is profoundly sacred work and it requires an incredibly well-held container. Because the challenge is if you open up your psyche with someone who's not adept at working with the field, someone who doesn't know what they're doing as it relates to spirits and the spirits that you can knock on in terms of doors when you are in the field, there's a profound irresponsibility because those are energies that can stay with people beyond that uh, sitting, that ceremony. And so... I just think that for those who are considering to do medicine or medicine work, I think it's one of the most profound tools for healing, one of the most profound tools for the expansion of consciousness given to us as a gift to be shared in, in sacred sacrament in this lifetime on this planet. And I think we need a profound shift in consciousness. So I'm a huge believer in the power of the sacred plants, the master plants as teachers. However, as we expand, there are so many ethics to be considered as it relates to the guardians of those plants and those lands and the ways in which they can be taken in a good way. And in my experience, for example, here in Tulum, there are people who offer what they call as quote-unquote ceremonies, what I would call people who call themselves quote-unquote shamans that in my view are uh, are charlatans wearing the clothes and the titles, but not in humble 
and sacred commitment to be of service. These are people who are utilizing the opportunity for commercial gain. In some instances, I've seen people who offer, you know, mushroom or sound experiences. And, you know, I know, for example, a dear female friend who wound up being kind of charmed by the facilitator. And he did a Bufo experience with her where, which Bufo is uh, an incredibly potent and powerful access to the divine through a, a frog excretion of 5-MeO-DMT. And it is profoundly opening. And this man did, had Bufo, she had never done Bufo before, did Bufo with her and held her while she did Bufo. And so they're entering the field together and... Uh, and then utilize that and her vulnerability to seduce her. And this is not, unfortunately, uncommon. There are people who utilize the profound openness that one engages in to their own, uh, for their own self-interest. And, you know, I, I definitely do not want to be preachy, but I'll share a story of an experience that I think for me was exemplary of the way in which medicine can be held and, and more exemplary of the ethic. And there's a, a gentleman I had the profound honor to sit with by the name of Jerry. And he's a Diné or Navajo roadman. He works with uh, the sacred master plant of peyote. And I had one of the most profound ceremonies of my life because I had the opportunity to sit with Jerry and a group of South American ayahuasqueros in a, 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 a sacred ceremony that was in some ways, the meeting of the, of the eagle and the condor. There's, a, there's an ancient prophecy of the meeting of the north and the south. And I sat in a circle where we had North American roadmen and then South American ayahuasqueros in the same circle. Um, so you can imagine the, the degree to which that space was held and led by a beautiful Wiwatika elder, uh, Mexican uh, curandero or, or holy man and healer. And by the way, this man and I, I, I knew him and worked with him before, was, in, was married. And, and even in their marriage, they would go through periods, for example, of up to six months where they wouldn't even have sex with each other to clean their vessel to enable them to hold the space and would go on sacred pilgrimages and make the requisite offerings. And all of these elements uh, play a role in sacred ceremony. And in the morning of this beautiful all-night ritual, this gentleman, Jerry, um, started to he took his rattle and the rattle is often used to help carry the song in a, in a peyote ceremony and jerry who i had the good fortune of sitting with in sweat lodge uh, was of the most humble men i had seen and what i loved about jerry was he didn't wear any artifice he wore no there was no feathers there were there was no traditional garb he was literally a very large man who wore a t-shirt and a trucker's hat Yet his knowledge was profound. I would describe it in some ways like imagine you're sitting with Aretha Franklin on a bus. You would have no idea that you were sitting with a master unless Aretha sang. There's a scene in A River Runs Through It, a movie with, uh, with Brad Pitt that I love. And at the end of that movie, there's a scene where Brad Pitt is casting his, 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 his uh, fly rod. And he's been at it for so many thousands of hours. His brother actually witnesses that fly rod and the fly. And he's created a technique in and of his own, a, a truly beautiful expression of his own unique artistry and song, 
which is having the fly literally not touch the river, but actually just dance above it. And the fish would jump up to meet that song. And to me, Jerry's song was like that unique expression. He was Aretha Franklin without the artifice, without the clothing. He was a true master. And when he greeted us in the morning, he did so with humility and grace. There was no pretense. There was no uh, presentation. There was no declaration or guruness in his way of being. He simply shared humbly and through story. And he said, good morning, relatives. And he, he said, you know, I, I want to share with you a song. And I kid you not, as he started to move his rattle and sing with the deepest timber, the resonance I can't even describe, it was like a key was lo- unlocked within me. And this rattle moved as that fly rod had moved in a way that had never been moved before, in a way I had never seen before, making noises that I had never even envisioned possible. And in that song was a key that enabled all of us to unlock something within ourselves. And I feel that that is the way that medicine, when truly held in humble service by a master, someone who has dedicated their life in servitude to something bigger than themselves what's possible through the song which is also by the way an integral part of the medicine is for us to be carried to a place beyond ourselves for us to leave the vessel of this of this ego and the traumas and and trials and tribulations that are inherent within that vessel and to enter a place in the field where we can witness with greater clarity the potential and possibility of our return and, you know, I lived for a time in Sri Lanka where there was no word traditionally for privacy or possession. And so when a, an individual fell out of balance, it was the role of the entire community to bring them back into balance. And they did so through these beautiful elaborate rituals from sunset to sunrise. And while in Sri Lanka they didn't use entheogens or uh, the master plants, They did use the incredibly elaborate art of ritual and song to evoke a transcendent state. And within that state, the person who had perhaps gotten lost through attachment to a particular egoic confine or or psychosomatic trauma was slowly seen and heard and valued and celebrated by all the members of the community. And together in prayer, they were brought back into balance, back into a sacred reverence, back into harmony. And that's what I had the honor of witnessing in that circle. And that is, to me, what is possible with the medicine. Now, many of you listening may say that sounds absolutely beautiful, but I don't have access to those types of containers. What do I do? And this was the question I received earlier, which is, what teacher or shaman do I recommend? And I think when it comes down to it, in an ideal world for me, if you do have the opportunity to sit with a revered elder, and and by the way, I still think, you know, obviously, no matter whom you're working with, you want that, you want to be referred, you want to have spoken to someone else who can give testimony on the quality of that experience because, well, I have profound reverence 
for, for example, the indigenous and believe them to be the true carriers of these medicines, that doesn't mean that every single indigenous person um, is perfect. And, you know, there are still people who have the same human flaws that we have, you know, uh, within our world. So, you know, getting, uh, you know, ideally, I, I love to sit, for example, with women, uh, women elders or, or couples, uh, men and women who are older that have this profound experience I, and or some of my favorite healers are individuals who have been profoundly recommended to me by friends who have sat with them in the past. So I think first and foremost, getting a referral or a testimony from someone you love and respect is, is integral. But even with that, Two people can be in the same set and setting, the same container, and have two very different experiences. And I think, you know, the work really is in the integration. And many people chase the ecstasies, the ecstasy of the ceremony, the experience, which, don't get me wrong, can be profoundly, even traumatic. Uh, I've had, as I shared earlier, a deeply traumatic experience. can also be profoundly beautiful. But it is, without question, work. But the, the deep work, the, the even deeper work over time is incorporating the insights provided by the master plants into the work that you pursue through the course of your life. And to me, that comes down to integration. And there's some very interesting centers that are popping up in terms of assisted psychotherapy where there is, you know, a bit more attention being done to integration, um, working with uh, trained facilitators, licensed psychotherapists, etc. And I, I won't give any endorsements in this show. I think you do your own research, but I think there are now emerging in in places, uh, set in settings, which I think is also important where this work is both legal, it is regulated to a degree, whether that regulation not necessarily be in the Western sense, but regulated by a community that holds the standard of the integrity of the vessel, of the, of the sacred container, and wherein you can get the requisite support. And so I think really being in the, what I would say called being in the listening around which places you feel called because that's the other thing just because you have the opportunity or are offered the opportunity to do the work doesn't necessarily mean that you should jump into it for me i was offered to sit with medicine many many times before i ever said yes and when i said yes it was from a place of an authentic need an authentic call and so you know there are some incredible groups and individuals i think you know start by listening to some of the different folks in the space i'm happy to share some of my recommendations with various master healers who do offer opportunities within the context uh, i think done well in 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 their in their communities um, in a way that you can support the work and you can be you know a contribution to the protection of the lineage of this work I think there are also some interesting centers that are emerging in places like Costa Rica and elsewhere where, um, you know, I've heard, I haven't been yet, uh, but I've heard, for example, Soltara, 
Um, I've had friends who have had a good experience uh, in a place where it is legal and also um, there's some integration work and they're working with the indigenous, the Shipibo, and it's a safe set and setting. That might be a nice middle ground for those who don't have access, for example, to go do um, you know, the deep work with communities that they may know and trust. Um, and also I would say, you know, I, I have, have had friends who've gone, for example, or people I've heard about who have gone to Peru and had really challenging experiences. So again, you just because something is within a particular context doesn't necessarily mean it's inherently safe or amazing. I think you still need to go with people, you know, and trust or, reviews uh, from people you know and trust to to guide you on your way but there are sort of middle grounds and then now there's an emerging you know I think field of people who are who are kind of creating that middle ground and, and creating centers where you can feel comfortable and you are in a safe setting and you have sort of for lack of a better term the comforts of modern day life but are still uh, offered to do the deep work with people who are master holders of that space. And so I would I would encourage you guys to start there. Um, there are other folks who are now, you know, there's an emerging field. Tim Ferriss has done some great talks on this, both in his podcast and in his blog. You know, and this isn't necessarily with the master plans, although he's covered over that on, on his blog. But others who are working with, you know, some somewhat more accessible areas and aspects of, of plants like mushrooms uh, and psilocybin. Um, other others that work with um, you know things like MDMA. I'm not personally uh, hugely versed in uh, chemicals. Uh, I, I've I've been a little bit more oriented towards tradition and the in the way that plants are used in traditions um, and or containers like in Sri Lanka where I work within the context of a ritualist where there's no plants involved. It's simply about the orchestration of this beautiful collective container. And the way in which that container can take people uh, on a beautiful journey to healing in the field, in the collective. Um, I'm happy to share more about that. If, if anyone has any questions, you know, about this, it's something I care deeply about. And I just want people to be in a good way. I'm getting asked more and more about it. But you can always reach out to me um, at Michael Trainer on social media uh, or, you know, through the Peak Mind, peakmind.org website. Uh, but... I, I really want people to be held in a good way. This It's such needed work, but it's work where you have to, I think, for it to be truly effective, enter into a place of total openness and vulnerability. And so the sanctity and sacredness of that container is, is paramount and integral. And there are, especially as interest expands, a lot of people whose orientation is more in their own self-interest rather than in, in, in truly altruistic interest. And there are some people that, in my view, frankly, are dangerous um, in the way in which even when they have good intentions, they see themselves in a certain light but have no problem, uh, you know, uh, doing this as a, a pure business, doing this as a way to meet and connect with at, and at times, in, in my view, exploit others from in a place of vulnerability. And so just really be mindful and, and, and tap into that gut and that heart and that head and make sure that whatever space you enter into, it's an aligned space and one in which you can be respected and pay your respects 
Uh, and I would encourage you to make offerings because in my experience, the power of the medicine, just as in life, comes from giving. It comes from being in offering. And don't just come from a place of taking. I think one of the other ethics we're going to have to attend to is many of these sacred medicines are take years to grow. Um, and with the over-harvesting, there's a risk to communities that need them, indigenous communities that have been able to use them for, for millennia, not having access to their own medicines. Um, that's probably uh, be better saved for a future discussion, but it's something to think about. And I think we really need to think about the ethics and the integrity and the spirit with it within which we enter into things. And, and by the way, none of this is intended to be preachy. I'm still in inquiry. I'm still in learning. I'm, you know, I'm humbly uh, in the listening. I care deeply about these topics, but I'm not necessarily right. Uh, I, I don't, you know, have a prescription for for how you should do things. Um, I have a sense of a beautiful way, as it's called, or, or or a listening to the beauty path that I want to share in a way that I think is hopefully translatable in a way that hopefully lands with you. But I am also a student very much in the learning. And that's the ultimate thing I look for is I, I look at someone like Jerry, who I listen to in the sweat lodge. And what I love about him is he doesn't lead by guiding you on his eight principles to life or his proprietary formula, right? Like this is a deeply wise elder who is truly humble. And the way that he greets you is with a story. And in that story, he's in the listening. He's listening to your body language. He's listening to the words beyond your words. And that story is speaking to that place of spirit in a way that you yourself can heal yourself. You yourself can find the answers you're looking for in the story. But not because he, as a guru, told you what to do, but simply because as a, as a humble servant, he shared something as a gift, as an offering that you saw and incorporated into your life and can take that and and lead it and leave it in a good way. There's a movie I recommend, which has nothing to do with medicine work, called The Straight Story. And it's about a man who is diagnosed with cancer, and, and it's based on a true story. Literally drives a, a, a lawnmower, because uh, he doesn't have a driver's license, a thousand miles to see his brother through the Midwest. And one of the things I loved about that was he shared his truth with young people in story, from a place of, of being flawed, from a place of humility. And a lot of it was about his transformational path. But one of the things I think we lose in our culture is our reverence for the elder and that way of sharing that wisdom in a way where one can find themselves and find their truth um, of their own accord and from a place of humility and service and grace. And so I'm bidding all of you listening an opportunity to sit with the masters in terms of the master teachers, in my experience, the most humble are the masters and the master plants, which often ask nothing in return, but simply give just like the sunshine, just like the sacred waters, just like the sacred fires. But, you know, when we make offerings and when we come from a place of reverence, our ability to truly listen and learn is accentuated. And I think we tap back into more natural and universal laws and principles. And so this is the process I'm living and learning on. 
I had the, the, the benefit and beauty of going to Standing Rock. I, I went with veterans um, who took a bus three days. We took a bus, uh, broke down. As you can imagine, there's a fair amount of distrust amongst the indigenous as it relates to the U.S. military because of the history. And there was profound medicine in it because actually these, these, uh, these veterans actually offered an apology to the indigenous there, which was something truly beautiful. Um, but the elder, when he greeted these thousands of, of, of veterans, many of whom had PTSD in and of themselves, the way that he greeted them was he said, treat each step here as a prayer and walk as if you're praying. And to me, I think that's the essence of, of, of life. And um, I'm always being humbled and always learning. But may we approach the medicine of this life as a prayer. And may we humbly uh, be an offering through this life to the gifts that are here to teach us. And with that, I wish you guys a beautiful and prayerful journey.